Story Traditions with James, Spring 2010 edition. Story Traditions with James, Spring 2010 edition. Story Traditions with James, Spring 2010 edition. Join me as we explore the Russian chronicles, myths, fairy tales, legends, works done by Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, Chekhov, among others. Don't go anywhere. James is on the air. And good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Story Traditions with James on this fine Saturday afternoon in Binghamton. Uh, the temperature is expected to reach high of 40 today, so it's a wonderful day out. Today we have a wonderful show in store for you. We will be looking at Ivan the Fourth, better known as Ivan the Terrible. We will then make our way into the role of folklore in Russia around his time and what it still means today. And we will conclude our show with some of the works of Vladimir Prop. We will analyze a fairy tale, a Russian fairy tale, using the morphology of the folklore written by Vladimir Prop. So again, we will look at Ivan the Terrible, his contributions, why the disambiguity uh, with, the na- with the name? Why was he praised at the same time looked at as a terrible czar, dictator, if you will? We'll look at that after a few songs, and then we'll look into his contributions in Russian civilization. What is it that he contributed to his people? And lastly, we will look at uh, the folklore, and then we'll come right back to some of Ivan the Terrible's writings. So keep it locked. You don't want to go anywhere. James is on the air. This is Story Traditions with James. The number here is 777-2137 in the 607 area code if you should ever want to call in. Or you can IM me if you are a user of AOL Instant Messenger. My screen name is WHRW Music. So let's kick it off with some music from Russia. This is Russian folk music. Let's 
Ladies and gentlemen, what you just heard was a North Russian wedding song. And before that, you heard a mountain, a stone mountain, Fears No Wind by a Russian orchestra. And we turn now to Ivan IV, or better known as Ivan the Terrible, born on or about the 25th of August of 1530 and passed away on or about on March 28th, 1584. And he was the Grand Prince of Moscow from 1513. Uh, the epithet Grozny is associated with might, power, and strictness rather than horror or cruelty. Ivan oversaw numerous changes in the transition from a medi- medieval nation-state to an empire, an emergent regional power, and became the first czar of a new and more powerful nation. Okay, that's the description you'll find under Wikipedia. But I, I want to provide you with a more thorough uh, description. The Ivan the Terrible, this, this epithet, terrible, really is a misstatement in my opinion. Because while Ivan the Terrible, while terrible represents wickedness, evilness, um, you know, Turbo is characterized by evil deeds. The question then will arise, how did Ivan become so popular? Why was he so beloved by his people? So using the term terrible, made this, uh, mis- it may misdirect someone into thinking one thing about Prince Ivan. So what I want to share with you are some key terms, to, to you know, key Russian terms that may better define um, Ivan the Fourth. So these terms include one, Tsar Batyushka, Tsar Batyushka, and translated into English, it means little father, little father, Tsar Batyushka. Um, Matyushka means mother. So we'll look at Tsar Batyushka. We also want to look at a term. Zemsky Zabor. Zemsky Zabor. It literally means land gathering. Gathering of the land. Then there's the Mostroy. This is a book, a literary work, which outlines the structure of the house. Okay, the Mostroy. It was, it was um, 
um, made available to pretty much all of the upper people who were literate in Russia, and they read this. And lastly, Oprichniki, Oprichniki, and this is a um, a, a mini army. It's a it was a private army controlled by Ivan the Fourth, and um, these terms I used, I think, will better characterize. Ivan the Fourth, and why is it that he was so beloved during his time? And I want to compare, as I describe him, I want to draw parallels be- between Prince Ivan the Fourth and Joseph Stalin. Many of the things that Prince Ivan did, Joseph Stalin also did. Um, and this benevolence with Joseph Stalin still exists. You have people who still love him. But yet he did do evil deeds, killing off millions of people, starving people, um, and so on and so forth. And Stalin's behavior parallels that of Ivan IV, but yet both of them are still well-respected in Russia. And the terms I use, the Mostroy, Structure of the House. This was a book that um, Ivan IV wanted everyone to read. It, it, it details the structure of the house, literally. Who does what? When this should be done? What role does the woman have in the house? What role does the man have in the house? So on and so forth. And this book works well for propaganda because this book puts the czar below God. So this book sets up a hierarchy for the society. And in the hierarchy, there is first God and then comes the czar. So... Ivan IV is already already setting himself in place, already setting himself in the social structure, but providing him with the respect he needs. So first he gets the respect by distributing this book, The Tsar of Russia. And uh, I'm sorry, the name of the book is Domostroy, D-O-M-O-S-T-R-O with an accent, I. Domostroy. And... Um, why do you think it's important for Ivan to set himself up in, in such a, a hierarchy? Well, Ivan took the throne at a very early age, at the age of 16 or thereabouts. And as he was growing up, he saw his own family members being killed, slaughtered. And he was also seeing the boyars, so the underprinces, constantly fighting for power to climb the ladder, constantly fighting you know, kill off this prince so that this prince can become the new leader and so forth. So seeing all of this infused paranoia into this young uh, prince at the age of 16, he becomes paranoid. Who to trust? Who not to trust? So once he, once he, he is um, coronated and takes the throne, and he's coronated in, on January 16th of 1547, once he... Uh, I'm sorry, he was the Grand Prince of Moscow from 1533. But once he takes the throne, he immediately attempts to eliminate the boyars, the underprinces, the people who think about it like, uh, think about it as the Senate, the U.S. Senate. These are, the you know, they're powerful, but it's sort of like a, a, an incubator for the next president. Okay, presidents make, Presidents tend to come from the Senate. The Senate, uh, the president is one. Um, senators tend to think about the the presidency, and you can think about 
that as the boyars. The boyars were the under princes, and they their next step was to become the prince or the ruler of a, of a province. And so this this created great conflict, great agitation, and fears of the the prince, the ruling prince. So Ivan now seeing this you know incubator for the next ruler and so on and seeing how their politics is conducted by killing off and constant infighting he 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 grows um paranoid he becomes paranoid and sets up this key word that i gave you oprichniki the oprichniki was his private army and the, this private army set out to eliminate the boyars um it it grew rapidly and um their their the dress their attire was black clothes and they would travel around with a broom and a dog's head okay so they they were intimidating very intimidating individuals they were set out to remove traitors and traitors received cruel punishments by their prichniki so Tsar Ivan the 4th put together his own private army and you can think about Stalin and the, the Chechka. Stalin does something very similar. Stalin is very paranoid. Remember, the people who put Stalin in power are the people uh, are the same people Stalin targets. Okay, the the Bolsheviks. Stalin kills off the Bolsheviks, the people who put him in power. And so something similar Ivan kills off the boyars because he fears they are going to uh, try to overthrow him. And he uses his own private army, the Oprichniki. And the propaganda he's using also, keep in mind this book, the Domestroy, which details the structure of the house is being used. So he has set himself in the place below God, and now he has his own army to kill off the boyars. So all of this seems evil, doesn't it? It seems like wickedness. And, you know, this stuff, um, this behavior gives him the name terrible. So why do the people like him? Why did they like him? Well, there was folklore and propaganda. You know, a myth. How do, how do myths come about? You know, people whisper things in small villages, talks about this, talks about that. And little myths arise well, little myths arose among the people, and he gained the name Tsar Batyushka. Tsar Batyushka, meaning little father. So Ivan the Fourth was seen as a little father, um, marrying the Russian land. But what the people didn't know was that Prince Ivan was making wedding proposals to um, the Queen of England, Queen Elizabeth. So that was interesting. Nonetheless, he used that, this Tsar Batyushka moniker, to his advantage. The people saw him as a little Tsar, and the people saw that he was removing the boyars. He used the, the infighting of the boyars as a distraction to the land and um, as a... A, as something detrimental to the people. The boyars were always um, appointed based on heredity. 
based on their lineage. Were they descendants of kings? Were they descendants of princes? And so on. That is how they would be appointed. Prince Ivan said, "Uh, uh, uh, uh. That should not be the way. This aristocracy isn't, you know, um, um, something that the people will like. So he used that to his advantage, and the people saw that that was something good for them. So they respected and and they grew to love him based on this myth and what he was what he was attempting to do. All right, so those are the key terms used to define uh, Ivan the Terrible, Domostroy, Zemsky Sabor, Oprichniki, Tsar uh, Batyushka. These are the key terms um, really used to describe Prince Ivan. Now, what were some of his major contributions? Cultural achievements include music. He wrote hymns. Okay, he wrote hymns for the church. Another uh, achievement, he commissioned the collection of folk tales. And we'll get to folk tales later on in the show. Prince Ivan commissioned the collection of folk tales. Number three, he compiled a history of the world. Number four, he established a print shop for printing his music, uh, the church musical, the hymns, and so on. And... Number five, he oversaw the rewritings of the chronicles that we looked at in in the past weeks, the chronicles that were used to bring Christianity to Russia, used to um, infiltrate paganism, and uh, it was an attempt to eradicate paganism and bring um, Eastern Christianity into Russia. And he oversaw these writings. Those were some cultural achievements. Some of the social structure achievements include this land gathering, Zemsky Zabor. Under Ivan IV, Russia expanded. It amassed land into Siberia, and we'll look at that shortly. And he put together an advisory body. No merchant, boyars, supporters, class filled with nobles, and so on. So he put together a... A um, advisory body, social structure. Now, the land gathering, Siberia. Ivan IV approaches England and organizes. He organizes an effort to explore Siberia, and Siberia pretty much defines Russia today. Okay, remember Moscow, Moscovy, and Kiev is really a small portion of what we consider to be Russia today, really a small portion. It was under um, the Prince Ivan's rule that Siberia is then annexed into, the, into Russia. And he approaches England and organizes an effort to explore Siberia. And Siberia is a vast region that goes into the steppes. It's, it, 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 uh, its inhabitants were non-Slavic peoples, and the Russians invaded Siberia. And he gave commission to Gregory Stroganov to go out and set up salt mines. And he was exempt from taxes. And that's how Stroganov made his wealth. And descendants of Stroganov are still wealthy today. The name should be popular to you, should be recognized. Stroganov. And Stroganov worked with a guard to quietly... Uh, to quiet any protests. So Stroganov 
um, adopted Ivan the Fourth's form of rule. So Stroganov had his mini army, um, similar to the Oprichniki, that quieted down any uprisings or protests. And that was how Siberia joined Russia. Okay, so Prince Ivan really. Um, gave Russia those things, cultural achievements, the social structure in Siberia that we looked at. I want to look at some of Ivan's writings. Well, one letter in particular, well, an epistle, it's called, Just like how Stalin was chastised by Trotsky, a very close confidant to the the, the, uh, movement, the Soviet movement, Ivan was chastised by um, someone else, by one of his close confidant, and his name is D.S. Mirsky, who called Ivan a pamphleteer. Okay, and Mirsky also accused Ivan of being a non-Christian. When we return, we're going to look at this exchange, the, the, the epistles, the exchange of epistles, letters, and we'll get an insight into the mind of Prince Ivan. Okay, we'll look at one of his responses to his harshest critic ever. So keep it locked. You don't want to go anywhere. James is on the air. And uh, we will look at folklore, Russian folklore, and we will analyze it using the Russian structuralist Vladimir Prop. So, keep it locked. I will return, ladies and gentlemen. Don't go anywhere.
And I'm back, ladies and gentlemen. What you just heard was a North Russian wedding lament. And before that was Ducks in Flight. And now we return to Ivan IV. I want to share with you an exchange between Ivan IV and Andrew Kerbsky. Um, I have an epistle uh, written both written by Andrew Kerbsky and the reaction, the response to it by Ivan IV. Um, now, Andrew Kerbsky was a very close confidant of Ivan IV, and he fled into Poland, Russia's biggest rival during uh, this time in history. And he fled because he, he, and he, he felt safe in Poland, safe enough to write a scathing letter to uh, Prince Ivan. And um, here it is. I'll read a brief, I'll read an excerpt from it, and then we'll read um, Prince Ivan's response in its entirety. So here is Prince Andrew Kerbsky chastising Prince Ivan. To the Tsar, exalted above all by God, who appeared form, formerly most illustrious, particularly in the Orthodox faith, but who has now, in consequence of our sins, been found to be the contrary of this. If you have understanding, 
May you understand this with your leprous conscience, such a conscience as cannot be found even amongst the godless people. And I have not let my tongue say more than this on all these matters in turn, but because of the bitterest persecution from your power, with much sorrow in my heart, will I hasten to inform you of a little. Wherefore, O Tsar, have you destroyed the strong in Israel and subjected to various forms of death the vovodas given to you by God? And wherefore have you spilled their victorious holy blood in the churches of God during sacerdotal ceremonies and stained the thresholds of the churches with their blood and martyrs? And why have you conceived against your well-wishers and against those who laid down their lives for you unheard of torments and persecutions and death, falsely accusing the Orthodox of treachery and magic and other abuses, and endeavoring with zeal, with zeal to turn light into darkness and to call sweet bitter? What guilt did they commit before you, O Tsar? And in what way did they, the champions of Christianity, anger you? Have they not destroyed proud kingdoms and by their heroic bravery made subject to you in all things those in whose servitude our forefathers formerly were? Was it not through the keenness of their understanding that the strong German towns were given to you by God? Thus have you remunerated us, your poor servants, destroying us by whole families. Think you yourself immortal, O Tsar? Or have you been enticed into unheard of heresy? As one no longer wishing to stand before the impartial judge Jesus, begotten of God, who will judge according to justice, the universe, and especially the vainglorious tormentors, and who unhesitatingly will question, question them right to the hairs of their sins, as the saying goes, He is my Christ, who sitteth on the throne of the cherubim at the right hand of the power of the Almighty and the Highest, the judge between you and me. What evil and persecution have I not suffered from you? What ills and misfortunes have you not brought upon me? And what iniquitous tissues of lies have you not woven against me? But I cannot now recount the various misfortunes of, at your hands which have beset me owing, owing to their multitude. And since I am still filled with the grief of my soul, but to conclude, I cannot summarize them all thus. I can summarize them all thus. Of everything I have been deprived, I have been driven from the land of God with guilt. Hounded by you. I did not ask with humble words, nor did I beseech you with tearful plaint, nor yet did I win from you any mercy through the intercession of the hierarchy. You have recompensed me with evil for good and for my love with implacable hatred. My blood spilled like water for you, cries out against you in my, to my Lord. God sees into men's hearts, and in my mind, have I ardently reflected, and my conscience have I placed as a witness, and I have sought and pried within my thoughts and examining myself. I know not, not now, nor have I ever found my guilt in aught before you. That was an excerpt. 
from Prince Andrew Kerbsky's epistle to Tsar Ivan IV. When we return, we will look at Ivan IV's response, his epistle to Andrew Kerbsky. It's harsh. Keep it locked. You don't want to go anywhere. James is on the air. You're in tune to 90.5 WHRW Binghamton. The title of the show is Story Traditions with James. Let's go. 
And I'm back, ladies and gentlemen. You're in tune to Story Traditions with James. I'm your host, James. And before the break, we looked at a lead, an epistle written by a close confidant of Prince Ivan IV, namely Andrew Kerbsky. And now we will look at a letter, an epistle written by the Tsar, Ivan IV, in response to Mr. Kirby's epistle. And here it is. It's titled, Epistle of the Tsar and Sovereign to All His Russian Tsardom Against Those Who Have Broken the Pledge of Allegiance Against Prince Andrew Kerbsky and His Comrades Concerning Their Treacheries. The epistle of Ivan IV, the terrible to Prince Andrew Kerbsky, is one of the most impressive works defending the Byzantine-Russian concept of autocracy. And here is the excerpt. Our God, the Trinity, who has existed since eternity, but now as Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, has neither beginning nor end, Through him we live and move about, through him kings rule, and the mighty rule, the mighty right laws. By our Lord Jesus Christ, the victorious standard of God's only word and the blessed cross, which has never been vanquished, have been given to Emperor Constantine, first in piety, and to all the orthodox czars and protectors of orthodoxy. And insofar as the word of God has been fulfilled, they, in eagle's flight, have reached all the godly servants of God's word until a spark of piety has fallen upon the Russian realm. The autocracy, by God's will, had its origin in Grand Prince Vladimir, who had enlightened all Russia through the holy baptism and the great Tsar Vladimir Monomach, who had received memorable honors from the Greeks and the valiant great Tsar Alexander Nevsky, who had obtained a great victory over the godless Germans and the praiseworthy great Tsar Dmitri, who had obtained a great victory over the sons of Hagar beyond the dawn. Then it passed to the avenger of wrongs, our ancestor, the great Tsar Ivan, and the gatherer of the Russian land from among the ancestral possessions, and to our father of blessed memory, the great Tsar Vasily, until it reached us, the humble scepter-bearer of the Russian Empire. But we praise God for the great favor he has shown me in not permitting my right hand to become stained by the blood of my race. For we have not snatched the realm from anyone, but by the will of God and the blessing of our ancestors and parents were we born in the realm, were brought up there and enthroned, taking by the will of God and the blessing of our ancestors and parents what belonged to us, and not seizing that which was not ours. Here follows the command of the Orthodox, truly Christian autocrat, the possessor of many kingdoms, our humble Christian answer to him who was an Orthodox, true Christian and a boyar of our realm, a counselor and a general, but now a criminal before the blessed, vivifying cross of the Lord, a destroyer of Christians, a servant of the enemies of Christianity, who has departed from the divine worship of the images and has trodden underfoot all sacred commands, destroyed the holy edifices, vilified and trampled the holy vessels and images. 
who unites in one person Leo the Isaurian, Constantine Copronimios, and Leo of Armenia, to Prince Andrew Mikhailovchev Korbsky, who, through treachery, wanted to become a ruler of Yaroslav. Wherefore, O Prince, if you regard yourself to have piety, have you lost your soul? What will you give in its place on the day of the terrible judgment? Even if you should acquire the whole world, death will reach you in the end. Why have you sold your soul for your body's sake? Is it because you were afraid of death at the false instigation of your demons and the influential friends of, and counselors? Are you not ashamed before your slave Vaska Shibanov? who preserved his piety and having attached himself to you with a kiss of the cross, did not reject you before the czar and the whole people, though standing at the gate of death, but praised you and was all too ready to die for you? But you did not em emulate his devotion. On account of a single angry word of mine, you have lost not only your own soul, but the souls of all your ancestors." For by God's will, had you been given, had you been given as servants to our grandfather, the great Czar, and they gave their souls to him and served him up to their death, and ordered you, their children, to serve the children and grandchildren of our grandfather, but you have forgotten everything, and traitoriously, like a dog, you have transgressed and transgressed the oath and have gone over to the enemies of Christianity, and not considering your wrath, you utter stupid words, hurling, as it were, stones at the sky. We have never spilled blood in the churches. As for the victorious saintly blood, there has none appeared in our land as far as we know. The thresholds of the churches... As far as our means and intelligence permit and our subjects are eager to serve us, the churches of the Lord are resplendent with all kinds of adornments and through the gifts which we have offered since your satanic domination, not only the thresholds and pavements, but even the antechambers shine with ornaments so that all the strangers may see them. We do not stain the thresholds of the churches with any blood, and there are no martyrs of faith with us nowadays. Tortures and persecutions and deaths in, any, in many forms we have devised against no one. And to treasons and magic, it is true, such dogs everywhere suffer capital punishment. It had pleased God to take away our mother, the pious Tsarina Helen, from the earthly kingdom to the kingdom of heaven. My brother George, who now rests in heaven, and I were left orphans as we received no care from anyone. We laid our trust in the Holy Virgin and in the prayers of all the saints and in the blessings of our parents. When I was in my eighth year, our subjects acted according to their will, for they found the empire without a ruler and did not deign to bestow their voluntary attention upon us their master, but were bent on acquiring wealth and glory and were quarreling with each other. And what have they done? What have they not done? How many boyars, how many friends of our father and 
voivodas have they killed? And they seized the farms and villages and possessions of our uncles and established themselves therein. The treasure of our mother they trod underfoot and pierced with sharp sticks and transferred it to the great treasure. But some of it they grabbed themselves. And that was done by your grandfather, Mikhailo Tukov. The princes Vasily and Ivan Shusky took it upon themselves to have me in their keeping. And those who had been the chief traitors of our father and mother, they left out of prison. And they made friends with them. Prince Vasily Shusky was a Judas crowd fell in the was it with a Judas crowd fell in the court belonging to our uncle upon our father confessor Fedor Meshurin and insulted him and killed him and they imprisoned Prince Ivan Fedorovich Beleski and made many others in various places and armed themselves against the realm. They ousted Metropolitan Daniel from the Metropolitan Sea and banished him and thus they improved their opportunity and began to rule themselves. Me and my brother George of blessed memory they brought up like vagrants and children of the poorest. What have I not suffered for want of garments and food? And all that against my will and as did not become my extreme youth. I shall mention just one thing. Once in my childhood we were playing, and Prince Ivan Vasilyevich Shusky was sitting on a bench, leaning with his elbow against our father's bed, and even putting his foot upon it. He treated us not as a parent, but as a master. Who could bear such presumption? How can I recount all the miseries which I have suffered in my youth? Often did I dine late against my will. What had become of the treasure left me by my father? They had carried everything away under the cunning pretext that they had to pay the boyar children from it. But in reality, they had kept it back from them to their own advantage and had not paid them off according to their deserts. And they had also held back an immense treasure of my grandfather and my great-grandfather father and my father and made it into gold and silver vessels inscribing thereupon the names of their parents as if they had been their inheritance it is hardly necessary to mention what became of the treasure of my uncles they appropriated it all to themselves then they attacked towns and villages tortured the people most cruelly brought much misery upon them and mercilessly pillaged the possessions of the inhabitants when we reached the age of 15 we inspired by god undertook to rule our own realm and with the aid of almighty god we ruled our realm in peace and undisturbed according to our will but it happened then that on account of our sins a fire having spread by god's will the royal city of moscow was consumed our boyars the traitors whom you call martyrs 
whose names I shall purposely pass over in silence, made use of the favorable opportunity for their mean treachery, whispered into the ears of a stupid crowd that the mother of my mother, Princess Anna Glinsky, with all her children and household, was in the habit of extracting men's hearts, and that by a similar sorcery she had put Moscow on fire, and that we knew of her doings. By the instigation of these of these our traitors, a mass of ins- excuse me, a mass of insensate people, crying in the manner of Jews, came to the apostolic ch- cathedral of the holy martyr Dmitri of Selinsky, dragged out of it our boyar Yuri Vasilievich Glinsky, pulled him inhumanely, inhumanely into the cathedral of the Assumption, and killed the innocent man in the church opposite the Metropolitan's place. They stained the floor of the church with his blood, dragged his body through the front door, and exposed him on the marketplace as a criminal. Everybody knows about this murder in the church. We were then living in the village of Vorobiovo. The same traitors instigated the populace to kill us under the pretext, and you, dog, repeat the lie that we were hiding from them, Prince Yuri's mother, Princess Anna, and his brother, Prince Mikhail. How is one not to laugh at such stupidity? Why should we be incendiaries in our own empire? You say that your blood has been spilled in wars with foreigners, and you add in your foolishness that it cries to God against us. That is ridiculous. It has been spilled by one, and it, it cries out against another. If it is true that your blood has been spilled by the enemy, then you have done your duty to your country. If you had not done so, you would not have been a Christian, but a barbarian. But that is not our affair. How much more ours that has been spilled? How much more ours that has been spilled for you cries out to the Lord against you? Not with wounds, nor drops of blood, but with much sweating and toiling have I been burdened by your unnecessarily, by you unnecessarily and above my strength. Your many meannesses and persecutions have caused me, instead of blood, to shed many tears and to utter sobs and have anguish of my soul. You say you want to put your letter in your grave? That shows that you have completely renounced your Christianity. For God has ordered not to resist evil, but you renounce the final pardon which is granted to the ignorant. Therefore, it is not even proper that my mass shall be sung after you. In your patrimony, in the country, in the country of Liviant, you, you name the city of Volmir as belonging to our enemy, King Sigismund. By this... You only complete the treachery of a vicious dog. Written in in our great Russia, in the famous imperial capital city of Moscow, on the steps of our imperial threshold, in the year of from the creation of the world, 1564, the fifth day of July. That was Tsar Ivan's response to Prince Andrew 
Prince Andrew Kerbsky. A biting response. But I think that letter really wraps up, ties in why Prince Ivan became so paranoid and why he decided to just kill off so many people. Many people, many people who supported him, he killed off. Similar, in a similar fashion, many of the people who supported Stalin, Stalin killed off. So this is a trend in Russian rulers. This paranoia, this um, broken childhood, this. Um, constant constantly seeing murder before their their own eyes okay they become the rulers but they become well respected and again i pointed out that prince ivan was seen as the little father of russia marrying mother mother russia um so he was he was uh called tsar batyushka okay so that wraps up our discussion on prince ivan and his contributions contributions to russia one of his um, cultural contributions I mentioned was he commissioned the collection of folklore. And we will now turn our attention to folklore for the next 30 minutes and we'll continue uh, our discussion on folklore into next week's show um, if we don't complete everything. Our discussion will look at the role of folklore. Uh, we will read a fairy tale. And then we will analyze the fairy tale using a Russian structuralist, using the works of Vladimir Prop. So keep it locked, ladies and gentlemen. You're in tune to 90.5 WHRW Binghamton. Rated PG for parental guidance. Listener discretion advised. In a world without a future, one engineer and his guests stumbled upon the secret to the future. The, the program. program. It may contain offensive views. It may contain offensive language. It may just offend. <laughs> These views may not necessarily coincide with those of WHRW management. <laughs> Therefore, consider all these things when deciding whether to listen. Uh, checkmate. Coming this summer to a radio near you. Oh, thou demon drink, thou fell destroyer, thou curse of society and its greatest annoyer. What hast thou done to society? Let me think. I answer, thou hast caused the most of ills, thou demon drink. William Topaz McGonagall hated alcohol and warned people to avoid it at all costs. We here at WHRW Binghamton do not hate alcohol. However, we do hate the idea that you may get hurt because of alcohol. So we would like to remind you, our listeners, to avoid driving when drunk. It is dangerous and could get you killed or trapped in a cell with someone reading McGonagall's poetry. Please, avoid this horrible fate. Don't drink and drive. Help to reform society, and we would soon do away with all inebriety. Don't you know? Hey, Jim Kelly, are you going to listen to my show, Hey, Fourth World? When it comes, I won't even notice. Well, why not? I'll be too busy looking good. Oh, well, can you at least say something good about it? Man, you come right out of a comic book. 
Hey Fourth World with DJ Pedro Phantom. Wednesday mornings from 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. Listen to it and we can all look good together. Story Traditions with James, Spring 2010 Edition. Story Traditions with James, Spring 2010 Edition. Story Traditions with James, Spring 2010 Edition. Join me as we explore the Russian chronicles, myths, fairy tales, legends, works done by Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, Chekhov, among others. Don't go anywhere. James is on the air.
ходит парень возле дома моего, Поморгает мне глазами и не скажет ничего. И кто его знает, зачем он моргает, зачем он моргает, зачем он Гуляние он танцует и поет, А простимся у калитки отвернется и загнет, И кто его знает, чего он дыхает, чего он дыхает, чего он Что не веселый, не радует житья. Потерял я отвечаю, сердце бедное свое. И кто его знает, зачем он теряет, зачем он теряет, зачем он теряет. Прислал по почте два загадочных письма. Каждой строчки только точки, догадайся, мол, сама. И кто его знает, на что намекает, на что намекает, на что намекает. Разгадывать не стала, не надейся и не жди. Только сердце почему-то сладко таяло в груди. И кто его знает, чего оно тает, чего оно тает, чего оно тает. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You're in tune to 90.5 WHRW Binghamton. Title of the show is Story Traditions with James. I am your host, James, and I will be with you for the next 18 minutes. And for the next 18 minutes, we're going to look at folklore, Russian folklore. Um, I guess we can open up with a general discussion on folklore. What What are the... The you know what's the purpose of folklore? I mean, you find it in pretty much every culture, every civilization, every um, setting, every group of people. All peoples have a folklore tradition, um, whether it's an oral tradition or written down. There, there's folklore. What constitutes folklore and so on? Well, we can go into that. That's an, something entirely separate. But let's look at some of the functions of folklore. Well, it's really a, a, a folk tale is really design, designed to um, discuss 
social norms, what goes on in society, how, you know, how things are done, the, the mentality of individuals, and so on and so forth. Uh, folklore is used to teach children um, about growing up. What are some of the things they should look out for when, as they grow up, when they're around adults, so on and so forth. Uh, folklore works as entertainment. Um, it keeps people entertained. I would, I can spend hours listening to stories um, told by people. It's simply entertainment. And some of the earliest folklore, if you will, came in the form of fables. And many of you know Aesop's fables. Well, that's a a a, a, a subgenre of of the the art. Um, but um. Folklore resembles his fables. There's always like a message involved. And in in Aesop's fables, animals were used quite a bit. And in Russian folklore, you can find animals um, doing a lot of things. And what do these animals represent? Well, psychologists and psychoanalysts, they all... You know, you can spend hours discussing what these animals represent, but pretty much in terms of psychoanalysis, um, the animals can fall within um, an analysis, um, a Freudian analysis or a Jungian analysis, and those are um, approaches to understanding the role of the, the animals in the folklore. But... What what does it ultimately come down to? Well, here's what it ultimately comes down to. What can you extract from an animal tale? Well, trust in one's self and one's family and be suspicious of others whose physiognomies and values are different. Achieve regardless of the cost to others. Save and do not share. Steal but within the law. Trickery and deceit are quite acceptable. All in all, the animal epos depicts human behavior in the beasts and not that of real animals. Okay, so these animals in the stories, what they ultimately represent is basic human behavior. Stealing, cheating, and so on. But in a lot of these tales, the person who steals, you may be rooting for you may hope is victorious. And then you have wonder tales. These are the tales which make movies. These are the tales of a hero or a shiro going out into the world, rescuing someone and bringing wealth back to the family, so on and so forth. These are the wonder tales. And we have lots of these in Russian folklore. Okay, so those are, you know, I'll keep it at the surface. Um, really, folklore, there are courses upon courses taught on folklore, but for our purposes, that's all we need to know, that it, the folk tales work as a way of um, reflecting society values, social norms, so on and so forth. I want to share with you briefly... A tale titled Prince Ivan, the Firebird and the Grey Wolf. And then we'll look at what it is 
um, that we see not only in this tale, but is um, fairly common in most tales. Okay, some of the motifs that are present in fairy tales. And then we will analyze this tale. We may not get to the analysis this week, but we'll look at how this tale is constructed through the eyes of Vladimir Prop, a well-respected Russian structuralist. So here is Prince Ivan, the firebird, and the gray wolf. In a certain land, in a certain kingdom, they lived a king called Vislav Andronovich. He had three sons. The first was Prince Dmitri, the second Prince Vasily, and the third Prince Ivan. King Vyslav Andronovich had a garden so rich that there was no finer one in, in any kingdom. In this garden, there grew all kinds of precious trees, with and with, without fruit, or special apple trees was the and special apple trees was the king's favorite for all the apples he bore were golden. The firebird took to visit visiting King Vasile's garden. Her her um wise were I'm sorry. Oh her wings were golden and her eyes were like oriental crystals. Every night she flew into the garden, perched on King Vyslav's front porch and on his favorite apple tree. She picked several golden apples from it and then flew away. King Andronovich was greatly distressed that the firebird had taken so many apples from his golden apple tree. So he summoned his three sons to him and said, My beloved children, which of you can catch the firebird in my garden? To him who captures her alive, I will give half my kingdom during my life, and all of it upon my death. His sons, the princes, answered in one voice, Your Majesty, gracious sovereign, little father, with great joy will we try to take the firebird alive. The first night, Prince Dmitri went to keep watch in the garden. He sat under the apple tree from which the firebird had take, had been picking apples, fell asleep and did not hear her come, though she picked much golden fruit. Next morning, King Andronovich summoned his son Prince Dmitri to him and asked, Well, my beloved son, did you see the firebird or not? The prince answered, No, gracious sovereign, little father, she did not come last night. The next night, Prince Vasily went to keep watch in the garden. He sat under the same apple tree. He stayed one hour, then another hour, and finally fell so sound asleep that he did not hear the firebird come, though she picked many apples. In the morning, King Vyslav summoned his son to him and asked, Well, my beloved son, did you see the firebird or not? Gracious sovereign, little father, she did not come last night. The third night, Prince Ivan went to keep watch in the garden and sat under the same apple tree. He sat one hour, a second hour, and a third. Then suddenly, the whole garden was illumined as if by many lights. The fire bird had come. She perched on the apple tree and began to pick apples. 
Prince Ivan stole up to her so softly that he was able to seize her tail. But he could not hold the firebird her herself. She tore herself from his grasp and flew away. In Prince Ivan's hand, there remained only one father of her tail. Oh, I'm sorry, only one feather of her tail, to which he held very fast. In the morning, as soon as King Vyslav awoke from his, his sleep, Prince Ivan went to him and gave him the feather of the firebird. King Vyslav was greatly pleased that his youngest son had succeeded in getting at least one feather of the firebird. This feather was so marvelously bright that when it was placed in a dark room, it made the whole room shine as if it were lit up by many candles. King Vyslav put the feather in his study as a keepsake to keep treasured forever. From that moment, the firebird stopped visiting the garden. Once again, King Vyslav summoned his sons and said, My beloved children, set out, I give you my blessing. Find the firebird and bring her to me alive, and that which I promised before will go to him who brings me the firebird. At this time, Princess, Princess Dmitri and Vasily bore a grudge against their youngest brother, Ivan, because he had succeeded in tearing a feather from the firebird's tail. They accepted their father's blessing and together went forth to seek the firebird. But Prince Ivan, too, began to beg for his father's blessings that he might go forth. King Vyslav said to him, My beloved son, my dear child, you are still young and unused to such long and hard journeys. Why should you depart from my house? Your brothers have gone. What if you too leave and all three of you do not return for a long time? I am old and I walk in the shadow of the Lord. If during your absence the Lord takes my life, who will rule the kingdom in my place? A rebellion might break out or dissension among the people and there may be there would be no one to pacify them or an enemy might approach our land and there would be no one to command our troops but no matter how king vyslav tried to hold prince ivan back he finally had to yield to his son's insistent prayer prince ivan received his father's blessing chose a horse and set out on his way and he rode on and on himself not knowing whither he rode near and far, high and low, along bypaths and byways, for speedily a tale is spun, but with less speed a deed is done, until he came to a wide open field, a great a green meadow, and there in the field stood a pillar, and on the pillar these words were written Whosoever goes from this pillar on, the road straight before him will be cold and hungry. Whosoever goes to the right side will be safe and sound, but his horse will be killed. And whosoever goes to the left side will be killed himself, but his horse will be safe and sound. Prince Ivan read this inscription and went to the right, thinking that although his horse might be killed, he himself would remain alive and would be in great, and would in time get another horse. He rode one day, then a second day, then a third. Suddenly, an enormous gray wolf came toward him and said, Ah, so it's you, young lad, Prince Ivan. You saw the inscription on the pillar that said your horse would be killed if you come this way. Why then have you come hither? When he had said these words, he tore Prince Ivan's horse in twain and ran off 
to one side. Prince Ivan was sorely grieved for his horse. He shed bitter tears and then continued on foot. He walked a day and was utterly exhausted. He was about to sit down and rest for a while, when all at once the gray wolf caught up with him and said, I am sorry for you, Prince Ivan, because you are exhausted from walking. I am also sorry that I ate your good horse. Therefore mount me, the gray wolf, and tell me whither to carry you and for what purpose. Prince Ivan told the gray wolf what errand he had come on, and the gray wolf darted off with him more swiftly than a horse, and after some time, just at nightfall, reached a low stone wall. There he stopped and said, Now, Prince Ivan, climb down from me, the gray wolf, and climb over that stone wall. Behind the wall you will find a garden, and in the garden the firebird is sitting in a golden cage. Take the firebird, but touch not the golden cage. If you take the cage, you will not escape. You will be caught at once. Prince Ivan climbed over the stone wall into the garden saw the firebird in the golden cage and was utterly charmed by the beauty of the cage. He took the bird out and started back across the garden, but on his way he changed his mind and said to himself, Why? Why have I taken the firebird without her cage? Where where will I put her? He returned and he mounted, and the moment he took down the golden cage... A thunderous noise resounded through the whole garden, for there were strings tied to the cage. The guards woke up at once, rushed into the garden, caught Prince Ivan with the firebird, and led him him before their king, whose name was Dolmat. King Dolmat was furious at Prince Ivan and cried in a loud and angry voice, How now? Are you not ashamed to steal, young lad? Who are you? From what land do you come? What is your father's name? And what is your name? Prince Ivan answered, I I am from Vyslav's kingdom. I am the son of King Vyslav Andronovich, and my name is Prince Ivan. Your firebird took to visiting our garden night after night. She plucked golden apples from my father's favorite apple tree and spoiled almost the whole tree. For that reason, my father sent me to find the firebird and bring her to him. Oh, young lad, Prince Ivan, said King Dalmat, is it fitting to do what you have done? If you had come to me, I would have given you the firebird with honor. But now, will you like it if I send to all the kingdoms to proclaim how dishonorably you have acted in my kingdom? However, listen, Prince Ivan, if you will do me a service, if you go beyond thirty lands to the thirtieth kingdom and get for me the horse with the golden mane from the realm of King Afron, I'll forgive you. I will forgive your offense and hand the firebird over to you with great honor. But if you do not perform this service, I shall let it be known in all the kingdoms that you are a dishonorable thief. Prince Ivan left Dolmat, King Dolmat, in great distress, promising to get for him the horse with the golden mane. And we will continue with this story next week. On Story Traditions with James, our time is now at an end. 
end. Next week, we will finish up this story. We will look at it under the eyes of, or through the eyes of Vladimir Prop, the great Russian structuralist. But during the week, I want you to think about what is it that really makes a folktale a folktale? What are the motifs? There are, the number three comes up a lot in fairy tales. Um, you'll notice that the princes were sent out of the house to seek an adventure, to go after something. That's important in the human development and in, in the development of the hero or shiro. He or she must leave the house, experience life, overcome obstacles, then return home as a new um, grown individual, individual, and that's some. You know, those are some of the things that come up in fairy tales, and I want you to think about those uh, throughout the week. And I will, re- I will return next week.